Our difficulty in this year of grace, 2015, is how we, in a technological age, are to relate to a supernatural event so many centuries past in such a way as to give due recognition to its historical reality while drawing from it lessons useful for our souls. The day we are commemorating happened after our Lord had ascended into heaven, leading behind his emerging church of apostles and disciples, among whom, and before all others, was that one all generations to come would call blessed. St. Paul expressed the hope of all Christians when he wrote, that where the Lord had passed on into heaven, there would they all follow, but each one in proper order. Given the superior place and role of the Virgin Mary in bringing the Redeemer into this world, it is expected that she would take first place in that hierarchical order, with the result that after she had but a moment's taste of death, excluding, therefore, the process of bodily disintegration, Mary's stainless, holy soul was reunited with her inviolate body unto that state of glory which we all hope to experience on the final day. And so she, far in anticipation of the end of time, was taken up, transported, bodily assumed into heaven to be welcomed by her creator, the Father, by her own Son and Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit who had sanctified her and enabled her to become the Mother of God. This entire movement of her death, glorification, and heavenly entry constitutes the total mystery we are observing tonight. When we try to extract from this sublime religious event some meaning for us modern people of the 21st century, we're faced with the difficulty of how to find its significance in our complex, fast-paced, and utilitarian world. Bravo to the Virgin Mary, we may say. But what does that personal glory of hers have to do with us who face so many immediate concerns about how we are to live as believing people in this bewildering and reckless age. We're compelled to think about economic security, about what relevance the Catholic faith has in a technological age, about the encroachment of big government over more and more of our once freer lives, about our health, the disintegration of family life, about the ominous specter either of atheism or else of non-Christian religious fanaticism that is ever widening its reach and much more. In the time allotted to me here and in view of the limitations of my abilities, 
to speak meaningfully about any of these matters, I must necessarily speak in generalities. I find, however, in the life and in the afterlife of the Virgin Mary, much grist for the mill that helps anchor and reorient my life amid so many troubling concerns. The Catholic Church has vigorously insisted, century after century, on the utter sinlessness of the Virgin Mary throughout her life. One gets a hint of that from the words of Christ when someone once extolled the woman who had given him birth and nursed him. His response to this was to assert that more blessed is the one who hears and keeps the word of God. An oblique testimony, we believe, of his mother's unswerving fidelity. Had things been otherwise, in other words, had physical or historical proximity to Christ had been of spiritual advantage, then Christ's relatives and those who lived in his day would have been far better off than anyone of a subsequent time. And similarly, those more learned in religion would have the advantage before God. But none of that is true. Obedience and what the scriptures call righteousness and what we Catholics call being in the state of grace, this is the all-important matter, the one thing necessary. Our Lady Holy Mary never once made a movement of her will, wish, or desire contrary to the will of God. Her own expression for this, mildly shocking even now, is that she was the slave girl, the handmaiden of the Lord, ever at the ready for fulfilling all the commandments of God and ever being docile in every instance to whatever God may have asked of her in the concrete. Mary is the exemplar of Christian discipleship par excellence. What this means for us is that our own primary concern and overriding preoccupation ought to be and must be submission to God in faithful obedience to Him in this very time when people all about us are insisting on some other way of being, some other style of living, of other goals to be sought. In the words of our Lord, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is what we must pursue with all the intensity and vigor we have. In more practical terms, this means that we must not get swept up in the mindless, godless immorality of this age, but must cling to the Catholic faith in full integrity, with unconditioned fidelity, while keeping our own personal lives uncontaminated by the contagion that's corrupting, ruining, and damning the souls of so many. The Virgin Mary is the utter perfection of this single-minded devotion to God, 
But there are also many, many saints and holy people, even yet today, who are engaging more or less successfully in the strife again, those demonic forces which are inspiring and directing the many forms of rebellion against God evident today. A second thing that the recollection of the Virgin Mary's life and glorification can do for us is to confirm us in that first of all the evident fruits of the Holy Spirit that it were enumerated by St. Paul. And I speak here of peace. One of the characteristic signs of a genuine devotion to the Virgin Mary is a certain tranquility of soul, a state that results from her safeguarding the possession of religious truth of the mind and her assistance in securing the state of grace, which is the source of our interior peace. In fact, I don't know any truly religious person who is disturbed, anxious, and fearful at the core. Certainly, exterior disorders may upset anyone for a time, but the saintly person has an interior reservoir in the sanctuary of his own soul, of which our Lord once spoke, because that man's spiritual edifice is set upon a rock. As if in recognition of this very stability and tranquility, the many images of the Virgin Mary, though greatly different one from another, unfailingly capture her serenity of soul. There's no aggressiveness, no vexation of the mind. Her immaculate heart is steeped in the grace of Christ. Characteristic of our time and consequent of our mad pace and sensual way of living is the lack of peace. We may well learn the secret of its possession from Holy Mary. And lastly, although much else could be said, I call your attention to the one thing that reigns over all else in the life of the Virgin Mary, and this is the certitude of the transcendent purpose of life. Holy Mary was so absolutely, resolutely sure that the reason for her existence and the goal of her life was for the greater of glory of God that she gladly, exultantly relinquished every other ambition of life in order to become a saint. There's no finer thing we can do in life than spend ourselves in the service of God, each one in a diverse way according to his calling in life. For some people, this may be as a person of importance in this world, but for most of us, it will be something far less estimable by worldly measuring. But the point is, the point of Mary's example as that slave girl of the Lord who became God's best beloved one 
is that the only thing that will matter in anyone's life and in any age is the degree to which he will have done the will of God. Someday we all will see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears that many who were thought to be the last, the least important in this world will be the first. We learn this Christian doctrine of relative insignificance in worldly terms from the utterly simple but incomparably sublime life of the Virgin Mary. My life, your life, will only be valued as good insofar as it will have been a life for God. Nothing else will matter for eon upon eon in eternity. With that thought in mind, what sort of people ought we to be? And to close for tonight, I want to acknowledge the enduring power and relevance of some of the hymns that I learned as a boy. Often after the passage of many years, one sees the wisdom of many of the small things in life. And there's a hymn that we sang in our Catholic grade school about Holy Mary that I've kept in my memory and I've kept in my heart all my life. Its melody and its words return to me with an appreciation of their beauty that I didn't detect in my childhood. I want to read those words to you not because they especially summarize my thoughts of this in this sermon, or even necessarily because they're great words of poetry, but rather because they have often inspired me to seek simplicity and peace in this agitated and discordant time. It typifies the power of the gentle Virgin Mary over the imaginations of men and women in the Catholic Church for these 21 past centuries. Here are the words. Simple and wise, lift up your eyes to where Our Lady stands in splendor. And do not fear, she loves to hear her children's praises, proud and tender. For all unseen behind the star, that lovely queen hears from afar. Body and soul, lovely and whole, she stands beside her son in glory. Oh, what delight to see her might and hear her humble human story. And know she will bend low to hear her children still lovingly near. I count on her help a great deal for myself, for my family, my relatives, my parishioners. Help to halt the advances of evil, evil in this troubled world.
to preserve the unity and holiness of the Holy Catholic Church, and to continue to collaborate with God to save our souls, which are so dear to him. I can assert from my own experience with her and with that of the whole church that she indeed is ever lovingly near. <laughs>